John chapter 4, verse 4. John chapter 4, verse number 4. It's one of my favorite um, stories. For some reason, no matter where I find myself in my um, journey with, with Jesus, I always find myself coming back to John chapter 4 and reading this. If you put this up in the King James Version, I'd appreciate it. You put it up in the King James Version, that's the message version right now. And you're going to stay right here in chapter 4, um, Nathan and Keegan. We're, we're going to read a lot of the verses we go through there, so just kind of be ready uh, verse by verse. John chapter 4, when you find that, stand with me. John chapter 4, verse number 4. God bless you for coming, and you will get home safely today. I just don't know if we'll get back out after we all get home. Amen. John chapter 4, verse number 4. I give honor to my wife today. Uh, we have celebrated 23 years of marriage. She has done the bulk of the work. And she has told me many times she's got too much training invested in me now to give up. So there's no going back. Now, we had a little bit of discussion this morning. We have been together for 23 years, married. We've had totally 25, we dated for two years. But 23 years of marriage. So I tell her, we're working on our 24th year of marriage. And she said, no, we have completed 23. Is it proper to say we are in our 24th year of marriage or we have completed our 23rd year of marriage? Working on the 24th? Okay, we got, we got into a big discussion. It was great. We weren't fighting. We were just arguing about what was proper. See, I, I teach, so I say that I have completed six years of teaching. I am now teaching in my seventh year is what I say. I, I'm not completing my seventh year. I am teaching and working towards that seventh year. So, so she's like, you always make the numbers seem bigger. I'm, like, I'm sorry. All right. So amen. God bless my wife. We had a wonderful day today. Um, I'll tell you that I did get to eat prime rib. And carne asada. So we went to lunch and had some carne asada, and then we went for supper and had prime rib. And what's that? And no, we didn't go to Dairy Queen. We did not go to Dairy Queen. We did. I'll confess, we did go through McDonald's, and I got an ice cream cone at one point. Amen. John four four. Your Bible reads as this, and he must needs go through Samaria. Can I ask you, who is he? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. And Jesus had a need to go to Samaria. I want you to really grasp that. The first time I ever heard this was Elder Hodges um, had preached a message before I got there, but everybody referred back to this message, that Jesus did this on purpose. He got up that morning and said, Today is the day I'm going to Samarita, or Samara, or Samarita, Samarita, Samaria, and I'm going to help that one person. Yes. I'm going there for a reason. Yes. Verse number five. It says, Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called, um, which is called Circa, or, or Sica, Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Joseph. Uh, Joseph. Why can't I? Wow. Okay. Here's, here's, what I, here's what I want to point out before you're seated. I want to point out that Jesus had a need to go to Samaria. Samaria means, I love names. Samaria means watch mountain or hill of the watch. Like a waiting place. Like a place that's sitting there just scanning the horizon saying, what is coming next? Anybody ever been there? I'll be very honest with you. Me and my wife have been praying quite a bit the last couple of months about where we are. What's coming next? What is out on the horizon? Where are we going? We're, we're sitting at a place waiting and looking and saying, what next? Now, for some of you, that is a scary thing. For some of you, that is an intimidating thing. For some of us, it's a very exciting thing. But watch, not only did he go to this place of waiting, this watching place, the Bible says very specifically that he went to Sychar, literally, which means literally drunkard or liar. Liar. Drunkard, liar. 
in the proper name, though when, when you use it to name someone or something properly, it simply means end. End. Okay? Jesus came to the watching mountain for the purpose to put something at end. I want to preach to you the end of a lie. I want to preach to you the end of a lie. I may even steal some of Sister Cheryl's testimony, but I, I am going to let you know that today Jesus came here on purpose to put the end to a lie. Let, let, let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the people that have gathered here. I thank you, Lord, that they have something inside of them that the enemy is afraid of. That they have something inside of them, God, that, that the enemy has been trying to destroy and, and put out. God, there is a fire that is raging inside of people that is desiring to be let go. And God, they are intimidated as they sit here wondering what comes next. What is out there? What are we worried about? God, I am come to help you help put an end to this lie. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. Could you imagine on that morning when Jesus awoke and was full of purpose can you imagine on that particular morning when Jesus got up and looked at his disciples and said, we have got to go help somebody. I mean, it would have been a shock for them. They got up and I'm sure they went through their normal morning routines of getting ready and brushing their hair and combing, uh, combing it out and maybe brushing their teeth and getting ready. And then all of a sudden Jesus wakes up just full of purpose and said, guess what, boys? Today is the day we go to Samaria. And not only Samaria, but we go to Sychar. We're going to go up to that mountain place where Jacob dwelled because there's going to be a person that needs us. And he begins to make the journey. However far away he was, he begins to make the steps and the processes towards that location. Little did that woman know on that day she would be meeting Jesus. I am sure if you looked at her daily routine, she had gotten up and she had gotten herself ready and she had gone through this ritual time after time after time. I mean, she just thought today was going to be like any other day. That today was just one of those days over and over and over and over that she lived. Little did she know on that day she would meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and her life would be forever changed. She got up and said, same old, same old, just another day. She got up that morning and said, this is just like every other day. I'm sick and tired. I'm sure she even got up that morning and said, I am just ready to go right back to bed and forget it. Same thing happens. I try to do better. I try to improve my life, but, but it just seems like no matter what I do, it's just the same thing every day. On that morning, I'm sure she woke up and she said, I'm sure today is going to be bad just like every other day. On that morning, I'm sure she got up and said, I guess this is the way life is meant to be. Woe is me. I hate everything and everybody hates me. On that morning, she got up. Not knowing that somewhere across the countryside, there was a Savior getting up and saying on this day, I'm going to change one person's life forever. Can you imagine with me just for, just for a few moments what it was like on that morning as two people filled with destiny, two people filled with purpose, two people that God already had a plan for woke up and said, what is going to happen this day? Some of you have woke up this morning and you've already convinced yourself this is going to be like a regular service. Some of you came here, there was no expectation in your heart. Some of you got up this morning and say, well, I'll just leave the same way that I've always come. Some of you got here and said, well, this is just like every other Sunday. Some of you came here and said, well, I've tried to give that up, or I've tried to quit, or I've tried to do that, and it just doesn't seem like it works. But how in the world 
how in the world did that mentality get inside of you? How did that lie get inside of you? How do you not know that this might be the day that Jesus on purpose walks in here for you and changes things like you have never imagined? How in the world did you get that thing beating you that every day is like every other day? I, I want to preach an end to the lie. I want to preach that there comes a point in his timing where things meet up and, and miracles begin to flow. There comes a point in his divine plan that on one morning you'll wake up and never be the same again. On just a moment of time, there'll come a place where you wake up and you feel like it's routine, but you look up and you see the master coming. This woman, anybody know this story? I, I feel like some of you may not know this story. We'll get to the end and, and maybe it'll surprise some of you what type of woman this is. I, I'm going to keep reading here. Verse, verse number 6 goes on to say, John chapter 4, verse number 6, Now on that day, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore, being weary with his journey, he came from a long ways away. But he had a need to get there. And he was weary on that day's journey. And he sat on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. I'm preaching the lies that'll end. The lie that has to end. Or the end of the lie. In terms of time. You can use this general rule of thumb. When the Bible says time in the sense of the third hour or the sixth hour or the ninth hour, generally speaking, you can say that the first hour is when the sun comes up and the light is beginning to shine. And the last hour is when the sun's light begins to fade and it goes into darkness. They measured almost 12 hours, meaning the time the sun was available to the time the sun went away. Generally speaking, now we know that this changes because sometimes the light stays out longer and in the winter it gets shorter and the summer it gets longer. But generally speaking, most Bible scholars will say they marked time from the time the sun became available till this time the sun went away. The first hour being somewhere between 6 and 7 a.m. when sun rose. The third hour being somewhere between 8 and 9. The fourth hour, 9 and 10. The fifth hour between 10 and 11. The sixth hour is somewhere around noon. This woman came out not when it was a convenient time. Not when it was a proper time to get water. Some Bible scholars will even say that the mark of time is different and she might have even been out there at 3 in the afternoon or 6 in the afternoon. But generally again from the time the sun comes up to the time the sun goes down is how they counted time. And she was out there nonetheless at a time that nobody else was there. I mean she waited that morning until all the normal people were gone. She waited there that morning in her home doing other things just so she wouldn't have to face anybody else. And she could walk to that well by herself. And she could draw water by herself. It wasn't a convenient time. It was too hot to draw water. It wasn't the best time to get water because she would have to exert a lot of energy to bring water up and to fill water pots and to carry water pots home. It was not the best time that normal people would go, but she didn't want anybody to see her. She couldn't face it. It wasn't convenient, but it was necessary. It wasn't popular, but she was sick and tired of people looking at her. Lie number one. She was going at a time to get water when nobody else was there because she was sick 
and tired of the rumors. She had had it up to here about being talked about behind her back. She was sick of everybody in that little town of Sychar talking about her. Sick of it. Well, you need to know most Bible scholars say of this city, it was a very small city. Sychar was small in population. And what has fooled um, archaeologists is that Sychar has moved throughout time. It was a mobile city that just dwelled in the land of Jacob and hovered around Jacob's well. And so when they got sick and tired or the sheep got uh, all the grass or when they ran out of area, they would just pick up and move. They said they have found that this city was probably from one and a half um, miles of Jacob's well to the east all the way one and a half miles to the west. It was a moving location. It was a city, just a small city, just a tiny, tiny community. In fact, most Bible scholars said they had a real hard time calling it a city because it was so small. Hello, Marathon. It was so tiny, Manita, or Hartley, or whatever they're calling themselves nowadays. It was so small that everybody knew everybody else. That everybody got up that morning and said, I already know the business. I already know your business. I already know what's going on. Can you imagine as this woman would leave to go get water, what the community thought of her from the comfort of their cool shade spot? As they watched her walk by all by herself and the rumors would begin to whisper, you know, she could have got up at six with the rest of us. She must be lazy. If she would have just got up around five in the morning before the sun even came out, it'd be a lot easier for her to get water. She must sleep in. I, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what that girl's thinking. Always laying around, no good for nothing, and just sneaking out. I bet if she went to bed at time when normal people went to time, she'd get up in time to go get water. What's wrong with that woman? Doesn't she know that there's a right time to get water and there's a wrong time to get water? She was sick and tired of the rumors. And she just wanted to be left alone. So she felt if I could just get to Jacob's well, a mile and a half out of the city, when nobody would be there, then I could finally get some peace in mind. Then I could be on my own self and I wouldn't have to listen to their rumors. I wouldn't have to listen to the gossip. I wouldn't have to let them stare at me the way they stare at me. I don't mind them talking about me as I'm going out of the city, but I'm sick of it. I can just get about an hour or two away from the city. I'll even go when it's hot. She was fed up with the looks. She couldn't handle it anymore. I don't fit into their perfect little world. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. She was sick of it. You know, after all, they can say what they want about her and how she's messed up, but that little perfect Johnny, he was her first husband. Nobody criticizes him. You know, I don't know if you're tired or not. I'm not tired. We're, I'm only going to get a preach once today. We're only going to have church once today. So, so I just have to let it out. Do you understand this woman? I mean, nobody talked about Johnny, her first husband. Everybody talking about her. She's the town problem. But her first husband, no, he could do no wrong. He was perfect. Everybody loved Johnny. I'm sick of that. I'll fit in their perfect world. You know, small town politics, small town gossip, small, small town, everybody knows everybody other business. And everybody thinks she's lazy because she don't get up on time and get water. She just doesn't want to be with them. You ever been in a group of people you just don't want to be around? Don't say that because we're in church right now. It's okay. People are going to start thinking it's a church that you're talking about. I ain't the church. I'm, I'm talking about the community that I'm in right now. I'm just tired of everybody looking at me the way they look at me. Deep down in her heart, she knew I was better than this. Deep down in her heart, she knew she wasn't the reason that their little perfect Johnny left her. Deep down in her heart, she wanted something more. 
But on that day, when she thought she was going to get away from it all just for a little time, even if it was the hottest part of the time, there was one that sat on the well waiting for her. It was so important of a meeting that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you're not good enough to be here when she gets here. I want you to go home. I want you to get out of here. I want you to go leave. And on that day, there was just Jesus and a woman walking out of the city with her head down and said, let them talk. I really don't care if they talk. They can talk about me all the time. It's the same day as any other day. I'm just tired of it. I'm just going to get far enough away that I have to worry about what people say just for a few minutes. Could you imagine the heart dropping in her chest as she looked up and seen a man sitting on the well? She's like, oh, I can't get away from this. I can't get away from it. It seems like Monday is just like every other Monday. And Tuesday, just like every other Tuesday. And Wednesday, just like every other Tuesday. I've had it up to here. What's this now? I'm tired. Listen. I'm going to get blunt. I know I'm recording this. But she was sick of being the blunt of every joke. She wasn't the town slut. She wasn't the town whore. She wasn't that way. She was different. If people just see her as she saw herself and stopped talking to her the way she been talking about her, things would change. She was sick of it. Why else would you go out when nobody else is up there? Why would you go to the hottest part of the day? Because she was tired of everybody telling her who she was. She bought into a lie, and it was time for that lie to end. They'll never get off drugs. They'll never stop drinking. They'll never stop smoking. They'll never change. I got news for you. On this day, Jesus has much news to walk in a marathon in this little tiny town and say today is the day the lie ends. You're looking at a lie that ended in my generation. That man that's sitting behind the pulpit should be sitting behind a bar stool in some little town where they can talk behind my back and tell everybody he's that way because his grandfather was that way. He's that way since his uncle's that way. And he's that way because everybody in his family's that way. I've got news for you. One day I woke up on a Sunday just like this day and Jesus said it's time for the lie to end. I laugh sometimes. I have never ever thought I was the greatest preacher. I have never thought I was the greatest pastor. I don't even think I'm a good pastor someday. And you all like, well, pastor, so no, I'm just that man that got up one morning and was trying to hide from a community of people that said he's just like his grandfather. He's just like his uncle. We don't like them in our community. And found my way in the back door of the Pentecostal church and Jesus was sitting there and said, I had need to meet you today. Lie number one. Verse number seven goes on. It says this. Then cometh Jesus to Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Lie number two is found in verse number nine. When it goes on to say, Then saith the woman of Samaria, that woman that needed the light hand under him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest to drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Lie number two. I'm not good enough for you, Jesus. I'm worthless. Jesus, if you only knew who I was, you would know that I don't fit into your group. How is it, how is it, Jesus, that me being a person of who I am is meeting you today? A 
look around this room. And we can joke about it because we're family. We can say, well, I'm a Yards. I'm a Bjork lover. I'm a Jarvis, I suppose, whatever you want to be called. I think deep down you're a Bjork lover. It's okay. Yeah. I'm half Bjork and half Jarvis. Okay, I'll go with you on that. How many would look around this room and say, I don't fit in? Now look, listen, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know you don't want to show your family colors and all that type of stuff. Okay. Everybody just look forward so the patriarchs don't get mad at you. But have you ever said, I just want, I love my family. I know who I am. But some days I just don't feel like I fit in. I don't feel, feel like, I mean, I don't feel like, I go to preacher's meetings, Sister Cassie, I don't feel like I fit in. I sit with pastors that have decades of lineage and I sit down and say, I don't fit in, Brother Tyler. I sit on boards and they bring prominent people in and sit down and say, Brother Inger, what do you think? I'm like, I don't fit in. How is it that me being in anger has met Jesus Christ being the Savior? How is it? Lie number two. Listen, I'm preaching about the lies you've been filling yourself. I almost feel like standing on a table right now and scream, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> Some of you know what that is. Parents explain to your children that their pants are hanging on a telephone wire. I'm preaching about lies. How dare you look at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that got up on this morning to look you eyeball to eyeball and help you get out of your situation. How dare you look at him and say, you made the wrong choice. Hallelujah. I dare you call Jesus a liar. Jesus, how is it? I don't fit in with you. And she's like, Jesus is going to go, you're right. I'm sorry. What was I thinking? <laughs> Listen to me. The Bible clearly says that his gifts and his calling are without repentance, meaning he does not take them back. He will not take them away. He does not make mistakes. If he called you when you were 10, or if he called you when you were 20, or if he called you when you were 30, it wasn't a mistake. It was him saying, I know the potential that lies within you, and I'm going to call it out of you. If it takes decades to get you where you're at, I do not make mistakes. Listen, you little liar. You can sit and tell yourself all along how you don't fit in and how you don't qualify and how God made a mistake when he put that dream in you. But you're wrong. Jesus, give that dream to someone else. No, he gave it to you. Jesus, call somebody else to do that. No, he called you. He don't make mistakes. You're lying to yourself. If you truly believe you don't fit into his kingdom, much less his church, God has need of you, and you do fit in. God, I, I, I don't think I'm good enough. Well, then who's the liar in the relationship? You're him. God, I don't think I'm smart enough. Well, who's lying? You're him. Go, go, God, I could never preach. Why he asked me to preach? Who's lying? You're him. God, I couldn't be in the ministry. I'm not good enough. Who's the liar here? Either you or him. Jesus has never made a mistake. Jesus is not the father of lies. Jesus does not look at you and see where you're at now. He calls those things that are not as though they were so that you can get to where you're supposed to be. Let, let me preach this to some other people. Stop telling people what they are not. Stop looking down your long religious nose at people and judging them to be unqualified. Who in the world are you? On that morning, Jesus got up. Say, I know what I'm doing. And the church, you just get home because you won't understand that. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, I don't want you anywhere around here because you'll mess this up. And the woman looked at him and said, I'm, God, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know who I am. How is it you're talking to me? 
stop listening to the lie. Today the lie ends. No more excuses. No more whining about how you're not ready. No more whining about how you're not qualified. No more whining about how you don't got, got to the right place yet. We know you're not there yet. But it doesn't negate the fact that the Father sat down and looked you in the face and said, Today I'm calling you in a ministry. I'm calling you into this purpose or into this vision. David was called and anointed to be king. Yet David was just a teenage mess. And David walked around until he sat on the throne with the calling on his shoulders saying, one day I'm going to get there. One day I'm going to be there. When Saul called into play, the heart, David said, I just want to take a glimpse of where I'm going to sit someday. And he played that heart. When David was out running in the fields and being chased of Saul, David said, I know that the end of this has purpose. When David found himself inside the cave sleeping and wondering, will this ever end? The back of David's mind said, I remember the feeling the oil that ran down my forehead. I know that God is not a liar and I will one day be king. David, who's now working with the enemy and realizing he is fighting the very people he will one day lead in the back of his mind what kept him together was the fact that he was called and anointed when he was a child. David, who walked into his in, into the enemy's uh, where the enemy had allowed him to live, and saw all of his wives and all of his goods gone, and his men turned against him and said, "David, we want to kill you. You've done something wrong." The Bible said that David, when he encouraged himself before the Lord, I don't know what prayer he prayed, but I believe it was something like this: "Oh God, I remember when the prophet anointed me. Oh God, I remember ten years ago when you called me. Oh God." Remember 20 years ago when you put your hand on me. I haven't forgotten that you put your hand on me and said I would one day be king. And just a short time after that, David, God, should I pursue my wife? Yes. Or should I pursue my family? Yes. Well, I'll get it back. Yes, you get it all back. David inquired the Lord. God said, go get it. David went to get it. And all of a sudden, here comes the crown. They ran the crown out to him. And said we were on the battlefield and we saw Saul die. Jonathan, Jonathan's dead too. Here's the crown, O king. Now, there's a lot of preaching out. I don't want to get in there. You, you read it. David killed the person that brought the crown to him. You are good enough. Lie number two is trying to convince you that you don't fit in that how is it that Jesus is called you're trying to figure it out yourself I, I keep oh help me Jesus I'm gonna get you. I'll save this for the leaders never mind we need to move on number uh, verse number 10 I hope you're listening to me this morning you're believing a lie Verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift, and who was it that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would give thee living waters. Verse number 11, And the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Lie number 3, Stop trying to figure it out. Here's the problem. You look at what you have and the abilities you have. And therefore, because you don't have it, you tell God, He don't have it. You're trying to figure this out naturally and say, God, because my limitation is this, because I'm still smoking cigarettes, because I'm still swearing, because I'm still struggling with this or struggling with that. You look at God and say, God, you can't do it. It's impossible because I've looked at my ability and measured you by my ability. You are wrong. You are wrong, liar. You are wrong. Lie number three is trying to convince yourself that Jesus has nothing to help you. Lie number three is that you evaluating your relationship with God by the limitations you have set on yourself. On yourself. On yourself. In a moment of time, God can set you free from smoking. In a moment of time, 
God can deliver you from alcohol. In a second, God can take away the need for pornography. In a second, God can deliver you. In a second, stop measuring your weakness and comparing it to His strength. They don't compare. God Himself has all He needs to help you out of this. Hallelujah. God, you have nothing to help with me with this. I want this water, but it ain't going to work. I mean, I want, I want to be used by God, Brother Jose, but it just won't work. I mean, I mean, Brother Ty, I could never be like you because I just don't have the same thing. Therefore, God doesn't have the same thing to help me. I want to be like Jose, but I want to be like, I, can't, I, can't, I want to be like, like Sister Dan, but I can't. I don't have the same thing. I don't have this, and I don't have that. I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm, shut your lying mouth up. Liar, liar. Pants on fire. I'm preaching an end to the lie. It's not your ability that determines your destination, but it's His ability that determines your destination. And if you quite frankly be honest with yourself, God doesn't go into the top schools and universities of the world and says, I'm calling the perfect, and I'm calling the talented, and I'm calling those that qualify. No, I'm the opposite. God walks into the back corners and the bar rooms of the world and says, it's time for you to stop, and I need you to be used. David, the adulterer. David, the murderer. David. Oh, wait a minute. You said about David was just a man after God's own heart. No. God knew it. Saul, who became Paul in the New Testament. Not Saul in the Old Testament. Saul in the New Testament. Saul, who became Paul, the one that killed Christians. God said, that's the guy I want to use right there. Rahab, the harlot. Ruth, who wasn't even born in the right family. Do you understand the pattern? God doesn't want to share His glory with no one. So He likes the fact that you have weakness. That's why He'll use you. So that when you step back at the end of the day, you say, it had nothing to do with me. and everything to do with God. God uses people that He can use to get His glory for Himself. And He uses people that are weak and broken and hurt and have problems so that when He does something through them, only He gets the credit. the thing that messed me up the most when we went to Storm Lake they put me behind a bar to have me preach Storm Lake when it was on Railroad Street they had taken an old bar a, a Mexican bar and they had cut a bar the literal bar off and made a pulpit you remember the one that had the little glass picture there that said Acts 238 and it was angled down had the leather seats in it looked like a couch you remember that one yeah that was literally a bar and every time I got back there, I could see the back end of the bar. And you could almost see the little rail down at the bottom where they put their feet when you go drinking. And night after night, I'd get behind that thing saying, God, I am not worthy, for I remember where I have come from. But you, you can get all the glory through this vessel, because I will never take credit for where I'm at. That's why God wants to use you. Stop believing the lie. I'll never forget, we put Brother Sammy in our house. He lived there for about eight months. His mom moved in. And she one morning, or one afternoon, came there, one evening probably, came down, sat on the couch, and she said, Pastor, I used to think you were perfect. <laughs> and then Sammy stopped translating. That's all we got out of her. I said, what is she saying? She said, nothing, Pastor. I said, what is she saying? Nothing, Pastor. She just, she just realized that as we live with you that, that you, you know You know guarantee everybody got this honeymoon going on with, 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 with sister my brother and sister tipped down and they're awesome he's preaching great I love his brother I was preaching like and, but someday you're going to see something in him you're like what was that God doesn't choose the perfect he chooses the available who is available God is not dependent on what you have what you have to use God is dependent on what weakness are you willing to give him so that he can use lie number three I'm almost done 
Line number four. After, or John chapter four, verse number twelve. I'm sorry, some of you just want to get out of here. It's a blizzard. I want to put an end to all your lies. Listen, I've been pastor long enough. You have given me so many lies. I'm having tired. I'm tired of lies. I'm not even going to smile at you anymore and just say, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. I'm just going to look at you and say, liar. <laughs> come to you come to you and say, hey, will you teach a lesson on Tuesday night? Could you teach a lesson? Oh, pastor, I'm not ready to teach a lesson. I haven't read my Bible much. I'm not praying about it. I'm going to say, liar. <laughs> you, you doubt me. Some of you are going to be asked to lead worship. Like, oh, pastor, I can't do that. Well, we didn't select you because you're Beyonce and can sing beautiful. We didn't select, we didn't select you for that. In fact, I'm kind of embarrassed. I sat in the pew today and said, Tyler can sing ten times better than me. He wants your availability. Line number four. Are thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Are you really greater than my problem, God? Are you really greater than all those things people have told me? Listen, I get told... I get told all the time how I'm not good. I know that. All the time. And not just by people that I pastor. I get told all the time by people I don't pastor, like other pastors. They're like, well, you... Brother Jim says, sure, I get told all the time, why would you go to Marathon? That must be the only thing you qualify for. Like we were in the last round of the draft pick, and Marathon says, I hope we get number pick number 4,393. I hope we get it. Like Marathon had no other options. Do you know what, Marathon, right now? We have, we have a bigger problem. We got more people that want to come to Marathon now and pastor. And I, I got to figure out ways to stop them because if they weren't good enough to pastor it back then, they ain't good enough to preach in it now. <laughs> I'm serious. We're having a problem right now trying to figure out how to stop people who want to come to Marathon. I want to pack 149 people in service last Sunday with a gym, and I would dare say almost 40 people were gone who weren't there. Do you, do you understand that? We're not talking about just some little town in the middle of nowhere where there lies a woman that isn't worth anything. We're talking about a church where people say, I want to be a part of what's going on right there in that town. I've got these four or five people right now already telling me how they're the pastor of Storm Lake or already telling me pastor of Shelby. I kid you not, I get, uh, I get phone calls and emails every single week of people telling me, I, I'm pastor in Storm Lake. I'm like, really? Because I thought I was the pastor. I got somebody right now telling me that I'm allowed to preach there because I'm the bishop and they'll go ahead and schedule me anytime I want. I kid you not. Everybody wants to pastor Marathon. Storm Lake. Be part of this. But God, are you really bigger than the problem? You know why I came to Marathon is because I believed I got to get rid of this lie. I came to Marathon because I said, God, are you really bigger than that little town? Are you the same size? If you remember when I came here, I preached small town, but big God. Are you the same God that they worship in Union City? Are you the same God that they worship in Chicago? Are you the same God that worships at Pentecostal Alexander? Are you the same size in Marathon? that you're already out there. Are you really greater, God, than a little town with little people? Are you really greater than that, God? Stop believing the lies. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. John 14, 15. I'm, I'm almost done. John 14, 15. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it.
go try some other churches if you want to. Where else would you think you'd fit in? Are you really greater than that, God? God, are you bigger than Tyler? Are you bigger than Jose? God, these ministers realize that they are nothing without Him. We're, we're developing hand signs. Brother Tippins, you know, got this one going now. I got some other ones going right now. I promise you, the minute you think you're better than God, I'll yank you right out of the pulpit so fast your head will spin. There's only one king, the king is the Lord of the Lord. And he doesn't rule in human flesh right now behind some man-made pulpit. He rules in the spirit and he ran and he loves to run, run through here and touch people and change people and help people. When some of you come to me and say, why are you using a man, God? I just, I'm not saying nobody's ever come down and said that. But here's what I feel like saying. Why, do you think you're greater than her? You, you, you think your sin is less than her sin? Brother Tim and I were just talking about it before service. I wish, I pray to God we could take an x-ray sometime when you start naming sins and say, well, let's look into your soul and find out what you're sinning at. that come and say, well, they shouldn't be doing that. I feel like screaming up there and say, why? What makes you greater? There's only one thing that gets this pastor mad is when you stop loving people. That's the only thing I get mad at. Other than that, we can work on everything else and you can get right with God and you can do what you're supposed to do for the kingdom of God. But you stop loving people, we don't have no need for you. Are you greater than this? Are you greater than a life greater than Kyle and Greek. Oh, Pastor, I'm not. Well, then stick your long nose back down. We got messed up people here if you haven't caught wind of it. We got people that are broken and hurt and tried and failing and struggling. Oh, oh I can just. Oh. It's a hospital for the sick. You know, Brother Tyler, we thought somebody, somebody got into boot camp, somebody thought they were real special. I think they got an expert or something running around just thumping their chin, like, I'm so good. You know what the drill sergeant they just do? That big bay that sleeps about 63 or so. They made, they, he, she, he threw kind of a sheet over them, like a, like a toga type thing, and he made that person walk down the center of just back and forth, just march back and forth, and he, we all got to stay around and say, oh, you're so good, oh, you're so good. And the drill sergeant, clap for him, clap for him, he's so important, just clap for him, clap for him, clap for him. So I got tired, kid got tired. The drill sergeant said, you ain't no better than the person next to you. He was from Panama. He, he had a, a combat patch. I think he was from Panama. He was trying to say, you are only as good as the weakest member among you. We don't need your attitude in this group, he was saying. He was saying, we don't need you running around saying how good you are, how important you are, how much better than you are than everybody else. And oh, you're so good. I'm like, sell back forever. It's tight 15 minutes. Oh, you just go back and forth. Oh, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. He walked up behind him and screamed in his ear, see how important you are. See how awesome you are. Oh, no, 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 no. Liar. Verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I'm going to stop believing those lies. How many people are you standing there? How many people are there? Uh, verse 15 of John chapter 4. We're still in John chapter 4. We haven't left. John chapter 4, verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I stop listening to these lies anymore. Are you ready? Verse 16, Jesus said unto her, there's one more lie. Go call your husband. Go call your husband. Oh, wait a minute. There is some sin in there. Verse 17. Go call your husband. Jesus, I want to drink this water. I'm not going to believe the lies, but I want to drink this water. The woman saith, 
I have no I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. You ready? Verse 18. For thou hast had five husbands. And the dude that you're shacking up with right now, he ain't it. He isn't your husband either. Listen, Jesus had to deal with all those lies before he got to the place and said, are you willing to admit that you're a sinner? Listen, I'm not judging you. I already said there's no greater in here. I've got sin. If you want to understand why God would use Doug Inger, it's because I'm the first one that would get in the altar this morning and say, God, I'm a sinner. Help me. You understand the importance of being used by God. You've got to understand the importance of being honest and confessing that yes, I am a sinner. But you've used all of those other lies to convince yourself that it's not even worth trying. I'm not good enough. What is greater? Jesus, you have nothing that I that is going to help me. God, there's nothing I can do because I didn't come to the right family. You put all those other lies in front so it can hide the fact that we're all sinners. I don't know when he's going to deliver you from this, but don't ever lose the ability to lay your sins transparent for the King of Kings and say, God, I'm not lying anymore. I'm not even telling white lies anymore. I'm just going to start laying them down and say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm not better than that person. I'm not better than that person. I'm not better than that person. I'm a sinner. I want you to come quickly to this altar. If you truly are sick and tired of the lies, tired of the lies, then stop it today. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You are good enough. Stop it. He does know what he's doing. Stop it. There's nothing impossible for him. Stop it. Once you get that all out of your system, then go back through it one more time, God. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm not better than so-and-so. See, the biggest lie is the one that you told yourself. That somehow you don't need to deal with your sin because so-and-so isn't dealing with their sin. Pastors use them so and so and they haven't dealt with their sin, so why should I have to deal with my sin? Yes, Brother Sammy, I told him that day, the pastor's not perfect. The pastor's a sinner. I am a sinner. God, I want to be used by you. Stop lying, stop lying, stop lying. He is greater. Nothing's impossible for Him. You are good enough to die for. You do fit in. No, David, you might not be able to sit on the throne today, but don't ever stop believing that one day you'll be the king. No, young man, you may not be able to sit behind the pulpit and preach a sermon today, but don't you ever stop believing that one day you'll be behind that pulpit preaching the gospel. No, young lady, you might not be able to sing in the praise room today, but don't ever give up the hope that one day you'll be standing there singing.
you are good enough. You are good enough. You are good enough. He fought so, so he died for you. He was weary for the journey, so he sat on the well just waiting for you today. Sometimes I 
get angry. Sometimes I say the wrong things. And I'm a sinner. Sometimes I do stupid things. God, sinner, I'm sorry. I'm not what I should be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And I remain honest before God. Remain honest. Sure, give me this water that I thirst no longer. Jesus, give me something to drink today that I never believe that lie again. Thank you. 